0: You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church.
1: Hey Amen. Good morning. If you remain standing, this chapter we're getting ready to read. Man, I've been looking forward to this chapter for, I don't know, about 25, 30 weeks, something like that. Um. Revelation chapter 19, let's pick it up in verse 1. Revelation 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupt the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright and pure For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Father, as we read these words this morning, it just does something to our heart. And Father, I believe this is what I've been longing for for such a long time. And not just me, but all of your servants, all of your disciples scattered across this planet who see the direction the world is going And Father, they mourn that, and I mourn that. Father, we see the structure of Babylon right in front of our eyes, and you've called your people to come out. But Father, we have family members called in Babylon. We have friends that we love who are running with the world. And Father, after the many weeks of judgment that we've seen, we know it's coming. We know it's right on the threshold. So, Father, our heart aches and breaks for those who've rejected you and continue to do so. But at the same time, Father, we praise you and we worship you because your grace found us. We worship you and we exalt you because, Father, we know that we weren't worth saving. We know, Father, that where you found us, the pit that we were in, the rebellion that we had chose to participate in, the evil that we were doing, that, Father, that your grace would find us at all is simply amazing, but it did. And it pulled us out. And it wiped the slate clean. And your blood washed us as white as snow, just as the kids just sung. And you gave us a brand new life and a brand new home, and a brand new family, and a brand new purpose. And Father, we deserve none of that. For our righteousness was like filthy rags. But yet in your great love, you found us. And Father, I've given you a thousand reasons times 10 to walk away from me. But you never have, not even once. So that same grace that saved me is the same grace that keeps me today. And Father, we exalt your name. Father, as we walk through this this morning, I pray that you would do something fresh and new in the hearts of the people here. Father, I pray that our zeal would not grow cold. I pray, Father, we just wouldn't get used to going to church, and that's just kind of what we do. But, Father, this morning, corporately, collectively, together, your people called by your name, set apart by your blood, that they would exalt your name, for there is none other worthy. That we would truly worship you this morning, that we would not go through the motions. And father, we would not just be followers of a religion, but father, fathers, followers of a king who is alive and well got us in your word this morning. We ask it in your name. We say hallelujah with the praise chorus that's going on in heaven right now. We say hallelujah. 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 Lord, we humble our hearts before you now. This is your time not ours. So move among the hearts of the people here today, those that are watching online. We ask it in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ the righteous, our soon coming King. We ask it in His name. Amen. You can be seated. There's something unique about chapter 19. Um, This is the only place we see the word hallelujah in the entire New Testament. You, You might find that as odd, but throughout the entire New Testament, the only time we see this word hallelujah is right here in this text. That word hallelujah is very unique in that it is a direct... Well, what we call a transliteration, if you go back in the Hebrew language and you look at how the words are put together, it sounds exactly the same as what we see in the Greek language as well. And the way we come to this word is, is by two words, two Hebrew words that are put together. The first word is halal. It is, it is the word for praise. And we see this word used, I think it's some 140 sometimes in the Psalms themselves. In fact, there are Psalms themselves that are called halals, praise choruses to God. But then, connected to that word, Hallel, the word we know for God to be Yahweh or Lord, we take the first part of Yahweh, Yah, and we add it to Hallel. And guess what we get when we say it in our English is Hallelujah. What we're saying in that moment is Hallel, Yah. At that moment, we're saying praise the Lord. So every time that we say the word Hallelujah, we are saying praise the Lord. And fittingly so, here in Revelation chapter 19, it is said four times. Four times. Four times. Now, Handel wrote one of the most beautiful pieces of music that, quite frankly, I think the world has ever received, called Messiah. And at the latter part of that long piece of music, there is something we know to be the Hallelujah chorus. And that chorus, that part of his music, was based upon Revelation 19. The four Hallelujahs that we see right here, where they are saying in heaven, eruption in heaven of worship, where they are saying praise the Lord. So this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different, and I'm going to ask you to stand again here in just a moment, because what I want to do for you this morning is I want you to hear a choir sing the Hallelujah Chorus, and it is customary that we, that we stand, but what I want to draw your attention to this morning is while it's customary for us to stand at the Hallelujah Chorus, I want you to know that the Hallelujah Chorus in heaven, the, the, the right response of the Hallelujah Chorus in heaven is to fall on our face before the Creator. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want you to enjoy the beauty of this music. I want you to hear the words that are being sung. And if you want to sing right along, you go right ahead. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you can't, that's fine. If you're wore out, that's fine. Brother Ralph, if you would. All God's people said, you can be seated. Jesus and his disciples are going into Jerusalem for the last time. And there is anticipation among the disciples, and not only the disciples, but those who are inside the city of Jerusalem who are there for Passover. And as we celebrate Palm Sunday today, those disciples were walking with Jesus. And even though Jesus had told them multiple times, three distinct times very clearly with great precision, that he was going into Jerusalem to die. For whatever reason, for reasons I've never been able to figure out, they they could not wrap their arms around the idea that their Savior, their King, is going to lay down his life, yet that's what he's told them multiple times. So as they are going into the city, everyone is in celebration mode because they believe that Jesus is going into the kingdom, into the Jerusalem, city of Jerusalem, and he is going to ascend the throne of David. He is going to depose the Romans. He is going to restore Israel back to its former glory. The disciples believe that. Those who are waving palm branches believe that. Those who are laying their cloaks down in the road believe that. And the city is abuzz because Jesus the Messiah, the one who can raise Lazarus back to life, the one who can heal blind Bartimaeus and give us his sight back, the one who can raise the lame back to be able to walk and run again, he is now entering Jerusalem and everyone is thinking, this is it of what the prophets had promised, what their hearts were anticipating. The only problem is is that everyone in the crowd who believes that Jesus is going in there to establish a worldly kingdom, an earthly kingdom that would begin at that particular moment with Jesus reigning in Jerusalem, they've not listened very closely to what Jesus has had to say in all of the teachings he's been teaching. Every one of the parables teaches the kingdom of God. And yet, the celebration that is happening, that we commemorate today was completely misunderstood. This same Jesus who rides on the back of this donkey into the city with all the celebration and all the hosannas, he knows what's about to happen. You see, this same crowd, the same crowd is shouting hosanna, this same crowd, a few days later, will gather outside the residence of Pilate And they will bring Jesus out who is beaten bloody from a cat of nine tails. And Pilate can't find any wrong in him, yet the crowd is wanting blood. They're wanting more. So Pilate looks at the crowd and brings Barabbas out and says to that same crowd, that same crowd that was shouting Hosanna, he says to them, Who would you prefer to have? Would you prefer to have Barabbas, a known murderer, or Jesus, whom I can find no wrong in? And you know what they said? They said, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus Christ. Hang him on a tree, just like a public criminal, just like Barabbas should have received, put Jesus on that cross instead. Those same disciples who said they would never leave Jesus aside, in just a little while, they're gonna flee and they're gonna run Save John, who makes himself all the way to the cross, yet they're all scared to death. You see, Jesus talked consistently about what we're going to talk about in Revelation 19, and I am convinced that every follower of Jesus across this planet has a burning in their heart about what is said in chapter 19. There's something amiss. There's something wrong with the world. You have tried to make a home out of this place. You have tried to make this earth a final destination, but there's something in your heart that says, no, this is not the place I was made for. Even people who are lost even you this morning who are lost, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you have tried everything in the world to try to make this world work in your life. You've tried it through marriages. You've tried it through relationships. You've tried it through substance abuse. You've tried it through everything the world has given you. And everything that Babylon has given you has been one big lie. And your heart is longing for something real. No doubt, John was overwhelmed. Just like we've been overwhelmed with the amount of judgment that we've seen God pour out on this planet for the last many chapters, we have looked at all kinds of incredible. Quite, quite, quite frankly, uh, stuff that we cannot even begin to imagine in our minds. Ah, that God is doing upon this planet for those that have rejected him. And yet, in all of that, what have we seen? We've seen God's grace over and over again, giving, resp- giving opportunity after opportunity for those who will be on the planet during this time to respond to his good grace. And what have they done? They've rejected it over and over and over again. What we're going to see this morning is like we've seen many other times, the veil of heaven pulled back. John is going to hear what's coming out of heaven, and he's going to see what's going on in heaven. And There's there's a celebration that is happening. We've seen celebrations, but nothing like what we're going to see in chapter 19. Because in chapter 19, the celebration begins because, because of what God has done up to this point. There are four hallelujahs this morning that we want to take a look at, and these four four hallelujahs are are going to frame kind of what's going on in heaven and why they're celebrating. Look at verse one. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, praise the Lord, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So the first hallelujah erupts in heaven because of what we've seen in the last two chapters, that God has kept his promise to the martyrs around the throne who were praying out to God around the altar, who were saying to God, who's going to avenge our blood? God says, I will take care of it in my time. When we get to chapter 18, we see that God pours out that final judgment upon the system of Babylon, the Antichrist, his government, his centralized power, and you know what it does? It falls in one hour. This great kingdom that he has built is a deck of cards stacked up, and when it comes to the judgment of God, it will not stand. And in heaven, at that moment, praise and worship breaks out. Notice what they're praising him for, salvation and glory upon this earth. As we saw in chapter 18, we saw the great harlot, the great prostitute, the system of of Babylon and Antichrist as its leader. As the world bows down to a false god, they worship him as though he's God. But in just mere moments, his entire system of power is dismantled by a holy God. All throughout this book, all throughout these chapters, we have seen over and over again, God pour out what can only be described as the power of God in real time. The people see it, and at points and times, they say this could only be God. Yet, in their ego and their pride, they reject God, and they reject Him, and they reject Him. If we compare chapter 19 to 18, and I think these two chapters are sitting side by side for one another to show us the contrast between the great prostitute, the world system, the system that we see in, in play today, what the Bible refers to as Babylon, Babylon. What we have is a contrast between what Babylon offered the people versus what God offered. Babylon offered salvation. Babylon offered a life free of any religious constraints. Babylon offered them power and money and fame. Babylon offered them all that the world has to afford. And understand that the the Antichrist is sitting on the very throne of Satan, empowered by him. And so Satan gives the world everything that he's got. He gives it his best swing at bat in the world, declares in unison for a period of time that there can be no other God but the Antichrist. But then in chapter 18, we see his kingdom completely fall. And next week, we're going to see what ultimately happens to the Antichrist and the false prophet and even Satan himself. But the world, as we would say in the mountains, the world was sold a pig and a poke. They were told a great lie, and they believed it, hook, line, and sinker. Salvation is found with God alone, so he is to be glorified. Power belongs to our God. Look at verse 1. Power, the Antichrist, boasted many great things. He boasted a kingdom on earth. He boasted that he he could die and then resurrect. Yet now, in chapter 19, we find that everything that he had, everything that he pronounced was nothing but a lie. You see, the Antichrist... He wrote a check he couldn't cash. He made some boasts that he could never follow up on. Because when you compare the Antichrist and his kingdom to a holy God who spoke the universe into existence, folks, you have no comparison at that moment. And yet the world never saw it. They're going to be so deceived in that moment that they actually think he's God. But in heaven, praise erupts because God has judged, his power has been on display. And not only that, He has avenged the blood of the servants. The Antichrist was killing those who would not take the mark of the beast on their forehead or in their hand. He's wiping them out. It is open season on people who believe in Christ, and they were being slaughtered in the streets, and they were making fun of it. They were making sport of it. And now in heaven, all of those people who were slaughtered, they see what God does upon the earth, and they praise God for their blood has been avenged. And then in verse 3, he says, once more they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. We saw this last week as the city and the structure is destroyed by God. It says that this smoke rises forever and ever, speaking of an eternal torment, speaking of an eternal judgment. And we said when we read that text that it seems rather unloving of a holy God who's known to be altogether loving that he would ever put anyone in a place of eternal judgment. And maybe you're still wrestling with that. But I need you to understand something. I need you to hear me clearly this morning. Every single person that is in that place of torment right now and every single person that will be in that torment in the future, they all chose that path. They chose it. They rejected Christ. They rejected the gospel. They reject the truth of God revealed in a world that is beautiful and, 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 and incredibly, incredibly unique. They rejected all of that, and in the tribulation time, God will reveal himself through these incredible works of power, and they will yet reject it. So those in heaven, they cry out, praise the Lord, or hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The reason they're praising the Lord is because there will never be another king. There will never be another leader. There will never be another kingdom that will rise up against God and his people. It all ends, it all ended in chapter 19. It's all gonna end when we look at the latter part of chapter next, 19 next week. It's all gonna end. There'll never be another Pol Pot or a Hitler. There'll never be another Stalin. There'll never be another person who pursues and destroys our Christian brothers and sisters in places like North Korea and China and the Middle East. They will all be put down and they will never, ever rise again. And so in heaven as they see the smoke rising for eternity, they celebrate because they know there is never going to be another kingdom. There will never be another atheist. There will never be another rebellion. There will never be anything else but God and his kingdom forevermore with Jesus seated on the throne. So hallelujah. Praise the Lord. There'll never be any more struggle there'll be peace forevermore their punishment fits their crimes and in heaven they say hallelujah praise the Lord verse 4 the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne I get this they say amen hallelujah and from the throne came a voice saying praise our God all you his servants who fear him, both small and great. So we get to this third hallelujah and we have another word added to it, another unique word, amen. That word is probably the most well-known word all across the world, transcends every culture, every language. Language. The word amen, if you're in a Spanish church and they're speaking Spanish, they'll say the word amen. If you're in a a Middle Eastern church where they're speaking a language you've never even heard in your life, maybe Arabic, and they get to where they're praying to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and they end that prayer, they will say amen. This word is the same word no matter where you go on this planet. It's amazing. And what the word means is truly, truly, or yes, we agree with that. Yes, we affirm that. So every time you say amen at the end of your prayer, what you're saying is, Lord God, have your way. Lord God, do your work. Lord God, truly, truly, you are the one who's in control. Every time you say amen, and here they say amen. Lord, have your way. Truly, truly, we agree with you, Lord. And then they say, praise the Lord. Why is that? Because notice, The 24 elders and the four living creatures fall down, and they worship God. Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both small and great. God has been faithful. God has kept all of his promises. And in chapter 19, he's wrapping it all up, just like he said he would. So the people in heaven see that God has been faithful to all of his promises, and they say, yes, Lord, we agree, yes, Lord, Praise you, for you are doing exactly what you said you would do. Then, in verse 6, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Notice verse 6 compared to verse 1. Verse 1 says, he hears a great multitude in heaven crying out. In verse 6, he says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, hallelujah. For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult or be glad and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The first three hallelujahs look back at what God has done upon this earth. And there is worship in God, worship in heaven to God who has fulfilled every promise. He has has destroyed the kingdom of Satan and his Antichrist. So in heaven, those first three hallelujahs are connected to what God has done. But this fourth hallelujah, guess what it does? It looks forward to what's happening next. And what's going to happen next is the marriage supper of the Lamb. For his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. I don't know how many a great multitude is. But what I do know is what's happening in that moment. Are millions and millions and millions of people from all walks of life, from all different points along history, who've put their faith in Christ? They're going to be gathered in that place. And, and we're going to be worshiping. And get this I'm going to be there. My wife and my three kids are going to be there. I look across this congregation and I see faces that you're going to be there. It's not because I've been a good person. Trust me when I tell you that is not the case. I'm going to be there simply because of the grace of God and the blood that was shed on my behalf. My family will be there not because we're good people, not because we go to church, not because we give to the local fellowship, not because you teach a Sunday school class, not because you showed up to vacation Bible school, not because of all your years showing up for a church service. You will be there because of the blood of Jesus Christ or you will not be there at all. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Last night as I was studying this, I I just couldn't get past these four hallelujahs. I couldn't do it. I couldn't get past it. And I just heard the Lord say in a still small voice, tomorrow I want you to to stop. Because if they're praising Jesus now in heaven, we need to add our voices to that. And I texted Bobby last night. I said, Bobby, I know you know I'm I'm crazy, but halfway through this sermon, we just got to stop. And as the worship team comes out, if if you're going to be at this marriage supper of the Lamb, then I I want you to sing to your groom, the King of kings of the Lord. I, I want you to sing to him. And this song is set specifically for this moment. So sing like you mean it. Sing like he's changed your heart. Sing as though we're already at that place of the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I'm going to come back and preach some more in a minute, so don't worry. We're going, we've got to get into this marriage supper. Let's stand together and let's worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Mm-hmm.
0: love your voice you have led me through the fire in darkest night you are close like no other i've known you as a father i've known you as a friend i have lived in the goodness of god all my life And all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. What do you have to sing for this morning? Think of his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his peace. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after It's running after me. All my life you've been faithful. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God all my life. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. God is so.
1: I am fully convinced that that thing that's inside of you that's longing for perfection, for beauty, that thing that's on the inside of you that, that the world just simply cannot fix or meet, that hole in your heart that you've tried to fill. I, I think what we're getting ready to see in this, in this chapter gives us the answer to what you've been seeking your whole life. It says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God reigns, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. If you remember, a few weeks ago we looked at a text in the Ma- in Gospel of Matthew that talked about these, these virgins. And a half of them had prepared themselves for the groom. That, that the groom he 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 betroths himself to, to one. And, and then he he goes away and prepares the house and prepares the home and prepares for, for the arrival of his bride. And when they come back together, they have the wedding celebration. And, and, and these, these women were part of the wedding party to celebrate the coming together of the, the groom and the bride, but they didn't know when the groom was coming back, coming back. but they just, they just had to wait with expectant hearts that the groom was gonna come back when all the preparations were made, when the timing was right. And, and so they were to wait. They were, they, were to be, they were to be chased. They were to be, they were to be committed to this particular day. And all of a sudden in the middle of the night, the voice of the bridegroom, he's returning, he's come home for his bride. And and half of the wedding party was ready, they get up immediately and they they begin to follow the bridegroom to the home where the, the gates are gonna be locked and on the other side of that wall is gonna be a great party where there's gonna be a wedding celebration of this man and this woman coming together in marriage. But for the ones who were not prepared, they, they run to town. They, they get their preparations. All of a sudden, they're caught off guard, so they go to the house where the wedding party is happening, and they, they knock on the door, and someone comes to the door, and they said, look, we are now ready for the wedding. We've, we've got all of our preparations, and the person on the other do- side of the door said, I don't even know who you are, shuts the door, and, and the party continues. The ones on the inside enjoy the party. They enjoy what the father of the groom has prepared and they celebrate the union of this groom and this bride, but all those on the outside, well, they're left out. This this image we have of what John saw, he he sees the marriage supper of the Lamb, something that has been promised from the Old Testament to the New. In 1981, I, I think I was maybe fourth grade, I think, I remember seeing the wedding of Princess Diana and Charles, I I wasn't that much into it as a a boy, but it was all over the news. and I remember my mom watching every moment of that thing. That wedding is still to this day the most expensive wedding that has ever been put on, $48 million in 1981. If you adjust for inflation by today's standards, that same wedding would cost $110 million. Just wrap your mind around that. 27 wedding cakes. One of them was about 12 feet high. One million dollars just in flowers. Now, just in flowers for the ceremony itself, not including all the other flowers. I'm talking about one million dollars in flowers. I don't, even know, I don't even know what that looks like. Millions of people all over the world watched this thing and were enamored by it with all the beauty and the pomp and the circumstance. But can I just tell you, that compared to the wedding I'm getting ready to tell you about, this is like a cheap chapel in Vegas. <laughs> compared to what God is going to do for the bride and the groom in this moment. Never has there been a more worthy bridegroom because there has never been a groom who has sacrificed more for his bride than this groom. Listen, folks, I know where I was when Christ found me. I know what my life was about then. I know that it took, the grace of God to find me in my arrogance, in my pride. At 16 years old, thought I had it all figured out, had all my plans laid out. And in March 22nd of 1987, I ran head on into the grace of God And I got up out of a seat just like yours, not even knowing what I was doing, came down front, surrendered my life once and for all. I was done playing games. I was done going through the motions of religion. I was done trying to play the part in front of my parents and my pastor and my church. In that moment, I surrendered all, but it took the grace of God to pull me out of the pit I was in. So I know the grace of God I have experienced not only in that point, but all down through my life. And make no mistake about it, there has never been a groom who's given more to his bride than what this groom has given to me and what this groom has given to you. He laid down his very life, bled out in front of a group of people who cursed him and mocked him, hung upon a cross naked so that you wouldn't have to. No groom. Has ever given more. No groom has ever humbled himself more for his bride. It's been a beautiful thing for me down over the years to stand in front of a group of people just like this. And after I've walked out from a back room somewhere with a groom, and we're standing down here, and I tell every groom the same thing. I said, When you see your bride, when you see that bride at the back of the Church or the building or the venue, when you say, I don't want you to ever forget that moment. I have never forgotten that moment of what it looked like. So, 24 years ago when I saw my bride, it changed me. So, every groom that I've, I've ever had the, the privilege of doing their wedding, I've always been, well, blessed by in that moment how humble those grooms are. <laughs> Oftentimes, shedding a tear because of all that's happened to bring him to that moment. There has never been a groom who's given more. There's never been a groom who's sacrificed more. There's never been a groom who humbled himself more. There's never been a groom who loved his bride more than Christ loves his bride, the church. There's never been a groom who's endured more. The hatred, the rejection, the, the moment where he takes all of the sins upon himself 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that he who knew no sins became sin for us. That in that moment, the Father in heaven turns away from his only Son. Because in that moment, in the darkness upon this planet, in that moment, Jesus became sin. He became my lies. He became my lust. He became my greed. He became that. And he was punished because of me because of you. Listen, there has never been a groom who loved his wife, his bride more than the groom loves you. I, I don't know what this party's going to look like. I don't know how big the banquet tables are going to be, but I do know this, the central focus of that moment is not going to be a denomination. It's not going to be a former church leader. It's not going to be a mega church pastor. It's not going to be the wealthy or the wise by worldly standards. The central focus at the marriage of the lamb is none other than the groom himself. Jesus Christ the righteous. Because no groom has ever loved a bride more than he loves you. Never has a son ever been honored by his father more than in this moment. Jesus Christ lays down his life because it was part of the plan of the Godhead Trinity. And in this moment when when God is smiling upon this banquet, there's never been a moment where a groom has honored his father more than in this moment. And there's never been a banquet that a father has ever provided than this banquet that the father is going to provide for us. There's never been a larger wedding There's never been a larger wedding party. Millions upon millions upon millions of people. And get this, the Bible says twice here in chapter 19, both small and great. We're going to look around that banquet table, and I'm going to see your faces. Those of you who put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to see your face there. And there's going to be that moment we're going to lock eyes, and I believe we're going to remember our time together on earth. And we're going to lock eyes, and we're going to smile because we both know how we got there. It wasn't by our works. It wasn't because we were a member of Hyde Park. It's because of Jesus Christ and His righteousness, His righteousness is being given to us through His blood that was shed and our faith in Him. We'll look around and we'll see people there that quite frankly we never thought we would ever see at this banquet table. There'll be people who were, when they were on this earth, were abject poor, had nothing had nothing but the clothes on her back in a little hut next to a river in the middle of a jungle, but some missionary went in there, told them about Jesus Christ, and they gave their life to Jesus, and they are no less important than every other person sitting around that table. There'll be no big eyes and little U's because we've all come in the same way. And it was by surrender of our life to something greater than ourselves. Wealth didn't get you there. Fame didn't get you there. Having all the right connections with the people of this earth didn't get you there. You came by the cross just like I did. And when we lock eyes across that table, we'll know it. We'll know it. Because at the head of that table is our King and Savior who bears the marks in his body of what he did as the groom who loved his bride. He'll bear those marks in his body of what he did on your behalf. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, praise, the Lord. praise him. Don't be afraid. What in the world? Man alive. Never has there been a more powerful pledge to marry someone than what Jesus did when he gave us the Holy Spirit. Do you know that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it tells us there that at the moment I put my faith in Jesus, I was given the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that text it says that, that, that we were sealed. And you look behind that and you begin to find out That this was a commitment that Christ made to me. Just like when I proposed to my wife and I gave her that ring, I made a promise in that moment that at some point we were gonna come together in front of our friends and family, and we were going to show them our love and our commitment. We were gonna share vows with one another. Well, when you got saved and Christ gave you the Holy Spirit, it was like he slipped a ring on your finger. And he said, Don't you worry, don't you worry, bride. I'm going to walk every step of this valley with you. I'm going to walk every step, and then one day I'm going to call you to myself that where I am you may be also, and we're going to live together in wedded bliss for all eternity, but don't you worry about the stuff you've got to face between now and then because I am with you, and I'm making a promise to you, and I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who's going to help you to walk out this journey of life in this broken, messed up world. There's never been a greater commitment made by a groom to his bride." There's never been a more beautiful prepared bride. Now the beauty of this bride doesn't lie within the works we've completed. It lies within what's been given to us by Jesus Christ the righteous. It says here that those garments were prepared, fine linen garments, the righteous deeds of the saints. Not that our deeds got us into heaven, but because of our salvation, because of this new life, we live for Christ and we will live for no other. Never has a groom shown more grace to a bride. I would like to say that as part of the body of Christ, I've always been faithful to Jesus. I would like to say that down through my life of walking with him, nothing has ever caught my attention that I went after. If I were to tell you that, I'd be lying to you. Because the reality is, He's been far more faithful to me than I've been to him. And church, as the bride of Christ, the church, individually, collectively, at times along our journey, we have chased after the harlot of Babylon rather than we've chased after Christ. We know where that leads. We saw it in the last two chapters. But there's never been a groom who's been more loving towards his bride, even when that bride was straying, even when that bride was running towards other lovers, this groom has never abandoned his bride, ever. Even though we've given him thousands of reasons to do so. He's never done it. And he never will. No groom has ever shown more grace to a bride than this groom has. Never has a bride... Needed her groom. Lord, help me. Never has a bride needed her groom more than we need him right now. Never has there been a time For a bride needed the groom more than we need him now. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Our world is a mess. Many homes are in a mess. Many kids are in a mess. And far too many people in my family and friends are running towards Babylon. And never more have I wanted my groom more than I need him now. And what I see coming down the pipe, what I see coming in the weeks ahead, what I see coming from our culture towards the church that you've seen play out this week in the news, never have we ever needed to bow our hearts and our minds and our knees and our life and our homes to this groom. We need him now. We need everything he's got now. We need his power. We need his strength. We need his patience. We especially need his love and his grace. Never has the church needed the groom more than we need him right now. We are completely and utterly dependent on him. While we wait and be faithful for his return, we need him now. Never has there been, never has there been a groom who loved his bride more than this groom loves his bride. Notice what he says in verse 9 as he sums all of this up in verse 9. And the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and then he said to me these are the true words of god so an invitation has went out have you received yours because if you haven't if you haven't received That invitation, if you haven't received, well, the gospel and responded to it, then you will not be sitting around this table. You will not be at this marriage supper because this is only reserved for those who have received the invitation and accepted it. So how do we respond to chapter 19? Well, accept the invitation. I've made the invitation to you multiple times. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time. Well, let me, let me repeat it, that Jesus Christ the righteous came into a broken, sin-cursed world for the sole purpose of dying, because the world is broken, and not only is the world broken, but you're broken. You were born broken, I was born broken, I was born in rebellion and I rejected my creator and there was no way, no work I could do, no money I could pay, no no place I could go to bridge that gap. Jesus knew that so he comes in, he lays down his life because he becomes the punishment for us. He didn't deserve it, but out of his grace and his love for you, he did. No groom has ever done such for his bride. Three days later, he resurrects. He ascends back to the Father, and here's what, he, here's what he asks you to do, he asks you to, first of all, admit that you're broken, admit that there's something on the inside of you that you cannot fix, admit that you have no control of your addictions, they're controlling you, you're not controlling it. Understand that there's, there's a hole in your heart, and the only thing that will fill it is Jesus Christ, so in that moment, surrender your life and say, I have sinned, I have rebelled, I've done the wrong thing, and I've ran towards rebellion but also to say, Lord, I know that you died for me to fix this. And more than anything else, I want to be there in that place with you. So, Lord, I surrender my life and I surrender all to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to make me whole, give me new life. And, Lord, thank you for saving a broken, wretched individual like me. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he's faithful in those moments to forgive you and set you free. He's he's faithful and just to forgive. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, accept the invitation, accept it by faith, accept it believing. Not only that, but remain faithful to the bridegroom. While we live in the structure of Babylon, while we live in the structure that's setting the stage for all the mess we've read about, be faithful to your groom. Be faithful to follow him, to love him, to worship him, to honor him. Follow him and no other, for your groom is going to come back and you're going to have to face him one day. Be faithful to your groom. Third, trust God while we're going to be faced with persecution. Hear me and hear me well. If you're going to receive Jesus, then praise God. Hallelujah for that. But you need your eyes wide open, because on the backside of following Jesus, There's a cross that he's called you to carry. And by following Jesus, you will not be friends with the world. By following Jesus, you will not be celebrated by the world. By following Jesus, you will not be put up in lights by the world. You will be hated, you will be rejected, and you'll be mocked. So never let it be said in this church that you've never heard the whole gospel, because you have, and you are accountable to that. it's the greatest journey you'll ever embark on. You'll be able to understand why there's so many tears in the room because you'll be shedding them too. You'll be able to understand what it means to one day be at this great banquet because you'll be there. Accept the invitation. Remain faithful to the bridegroom. Trust God while we're going to be faced with persecution. Trust me, church. Trust me. What's coming down the pipe, what's coming at us, in the months and years ahead, you are going to be challenged because of your faith. Remain true, trust him in that persecution, and then finally, obey the command to take the gospel to the world. Start talking about Jesus. Start talking about him without apology. Start talking about him without making excuses. Start talking about him without backing off. Stop being afraid of what the world has to say about you and take a stand upon Jesus outside of this building. Now's the time. Not tomorrow. Not next year. If you're a follower of Jesus, then shout hallelujah. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't do it just in this building. You do it out there on your job site because he's going to hold you accountable for every word and every deed. Honor your groom for he's soon coming back. Live for him because he's soon coming back. Hallelujah. Praise be to the God of gods and King of kings. He alone is worthy.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church,
1: please check out our website,
0: HydePark.Church, or on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, at HydePark.Church.